You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So others might have hurt you. Think about that, okay? Maybe someone has gone out of their way to step on your toes, or they've said some unkind thing about you, or some you know, untruth, maybe at work or whatever. Someone has gone out of their way to attack you, to hurt you, and you're seeking retaliation. You're thinking, I'm gonna hurt them back, or I'll sin against them. And I could do it in such a way where they'll actually never know who it was, that attack them. Are you ever tempted to repay evil with evil? Especially when you know for sure no one would ever know you did what you did. It's so tempting when we've been wronged or hurt. But we know that not only have we been called to a higher way of living, we've also been given the ability to rise above such temptations. Today in his message, Pastor Mike reminds us of this temptation to sin and its power over us. But he also reminds us of God's grace and mercy to save us from acting in this way. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as he continues his message, Resisting Temptation. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, in verses 15 through 17, I want you to understand that you are so linked together with Jesus Christ that the things that you allow yourself to become involved with, you make Christ a participant in as well. There's no such thing as like, uh, you know, over the weekend, sneaking into like, you know, some club, going drinking, drugging, chasing women, chasing guys or whatever. And then all of a sudden you turn to Jesus and say, you know, Lord, you stay out here and I'm going to go in there for a while and I'll be back in just a little bit. It doesn't work like that. I want you to understand that whatever you allow yourself to participate in, you make Christ a participant in as well. Isn't that what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 15 through 17? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so we're one with Christ. We've been joined together with him. And thus, whatever we participate in, we also make him a participant as well. And so Joseph was fully aware of that. 
The third principle that I want to draw your attention to that enabled Joseph to resist temptation at Potiphar's wife's advances. Thirdly, Joseph also saw this as a great wickedness. Notice in verse 9, he said, how can I do this great wickedness? Isn't that recorded there in verse 9? He saw it as a great wickedness. You see, one of our problems today is our lax attitude towards sin. We've become extremely indulgent and tolerant towards sin. Today, fornication isn't really considered as some terrible sin. Why is that? Because it's been glamorized. It's a glamorized affair, right? Or it's referred to as an alternative lifestyle. And even within the church, there are those who might be entertaining the thought of having an affair. They don't have the consciousness of the wickedness of these things or the severity of sin. And then there are others who try to rationalize that sin. You know, it's been suggested, I don't know if this is true or not, you know, the Bible obviously doesn't address this subject, but it's been said, and there are other Bible teachers who believe this, that when someone was in a very high position to the king, that they would actually castrate him so that he would be absolutely and completely focused on doing the work of the king. And therefore, if he had been castrated, he certainly wouldn't have been able to please his wife, right? He would have had no desire whatsoever to want to please his wife or to have intercourse with her. Now, if this was true, Joseph might have picked up on it and said, well, you know, maybe I'm going to help the old boy out here, you know. I mean, he's not going to be able to fulfill her desires. And so he could have rationalized it in that way. He's a eunuch. He's been castrated. He can't satisfy her. I'll give the old girl a tumble. Help out the old man. You know, so maybe he was thinking. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it has been suggested. There's been commentaries that I've read that have suggested that. Or maybe he might have thought, well, Potiphar wasn't treating me right. I wasn't getting my just deserves. So guess what? I'm going to take his wife for my compensation. He could have thought of it in that way. Or he could approach this whole thing of like, hey, listen, this wasn't some ordinary woman. Remember, this was the wife of someone in a very high position within, it would have been like sort of equal to our president's cabinet, this captain, Potiphar. And so uh, she was a very prominent figure within the administration. And he might have thought, well, you know, man, I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll fulfill her desires and I'll be able to get something in return for this. And, you know, maybe it'll be uh, a stepping stone to reach some other higher goal or some higher position. He could have thought of it, you know, in that kind of a way, right? But he didn't refer to it or look at it in that way. He saw it as for what it really was and what it was was sin. It was a great wickedness. So that's the third thing. The fourth principle, the fourth thing that Joseph was aware of as it relates to resisting temptation, he saw that it was a sin against God. Isn't that interesting? Not against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife, but rather that it was a sin against God. Go back to verse 9 again. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And now that's, I find that kind of, kind of interesting, right? Sin against God. Well, 
Joseph had this strong consciousness of sin. Why? Because his standards had come from God. You see, gang, there's a vast difference between God's standards and the world's standards. Our problem is that sometimes our standards are derived from the world rather than from the word of God. And this opportunity to sin was not ultimately against Potiphar or even Potiphar's wife, but rather against God. And that was Joseph's perception of the matter. So others might have hurt you. Think about that, okay? Maybe someone has gone out of their way to step on your toes, or they've said some unkind thing about you, or some you know, untruth, maybe at work or whatever. Someone has gone out of their way to attack you, to hurt you, and you're seeking retaliation. You're thinking, I'm going to hurt them back, or I'll sin against them. And I could do it in such a way where they'll actually never know who it was that attacked them. I mean, what difference does it make? Because the truth of the matter is, they'll never know. Well, listen, we might be able to hide our sin against man, but when we realize that our sin is against God, there's no hiding of our sin. There's no hiding of our sin. You might be really good in covering your sin you know, to other people, but the truth of the matter is, all sin is against God. Every sin that you commit is against God, and you can't hide from God. Case in point, David. David saw his neighbor woman Bathsheba, and I don't know what she was doing. You know, you can't put all of the blame upon David. And I'm not making, you know, concessions for David here. Don't misunderstand. But I want to know, and there's my Italian coming out again. I want to know what Bathsheba was doing bathing on the roof of her home in the proximity of the king's palace. That's what I want to know. I want to know exactly what she was doing there. But anyway, David saw his neighbor woman Bathsheba bathing. He became aroused. He invited her over for a visit. He took her to bed. You know the story. She became pregnant. Now he's got to cover his tracks. He doesn't want anyone to know what exactly had happened because she was a married woman. Where was her husband? A fellow, by the way, whose name was Uriah. Well, he was fighting for Israel against the Philistines at that time. Actually, against the Syrians, I'm sorry, at that, at that particular time. David, who was the king, summoned for Uriah to come back from the front where he had been fighting against the Syrians. And he figured, well, you know, he hadn't seen his wife in a while. He'll go into her. They'll have sexual relationships. You know, he can cover his tracks and they'll, you know, put two and two. They'll, they'll think that he impregnated her, Bathsheba, and not me. But when Uriah comes back home, right, he wouldn't even sleep with his wife while his brothers in arms were fighting the Syrians on the front lines. And so what, did we, what happened next? Well, you know the story. David sent him back out up to the front lines, leading a strike brigade against the Syrians, and thus he was killed. And after a short while, now remember, Bathsheba is already pregnant. After a short while, when suspicion had been removed, David was going to do a most noble deed as the king of Israel. He was going to show kindness to a poor widow woman whose husband was just killed in battle. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Right? 
David was thinking, man, I'm smooth. Man, I am so cool. But then guess what? God sent the prophet, Nathan, who came to David, and it's recorded for us in 2 Samuel in chapter 12, and I'll just briefly summarize it. He says, David, I want to tell you something that's happened within your kingdom. There was these two men that lived alongside of one another. One was rich, one was poor. The man who was rich had herds and flocks and just had everything. And the poor man had only one little ewe lamb. And he considered that one little ewe lamb like a daughter. In fact, at night, he would actually bring the ewe lamb into his home and he would sleep in the bed. He would eat of his food and drink of his cup. Now, it happened on an occasion that there was a fellow who had been journeying and came to the rich man and the rich man wanted to make a feast. But rather than using one of his own lambs to slaughter, to prepare the food for the feast, he went to his next door neighbor, the poor man. He took the one poor ewe lamb and he killed him and then he fed it to the traveler. And Nathan says, what do you think about that, David? And he says, who is this man? David's infuriated now. Who is this man? Bring him before me. I'll have his head. And then Nathan turns the tables around on David and he looks him right in the eyes and he says, you are that man. Who was that man? David, you are that man. And he was thinking about Uriah, the poor, he had one wife. David had, you know, wives and concubines and everything at his disposal, right? Uriah just had one wife, that was it. The little ewe lamb. And he turns around and he says, you are that man. And David is busted. He's standing there naked before the prophet. Now, David realized I didn't get by with my sin. He thought he was smooth. He thought he was cool, right? But then the prophet of God came to David, Nathan, and he was busted. David realized I didn't get away with my sin. God knows the truth. And David, right, he went unto God and cried out. And in the 51st Psalm, in verse 4, he cries out, Against thee and thee alone have I sinned. Okay, I've gone a long way to make the point. What was the point? All sin is against God. You see, God has established the law. And any violation of the law is sin against God. And thus we need to realize that. Our sin is against God who sees and knows everything we have ever done or even thought. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so Joseph, realizing that God sees and that sin is against God, said to Potiphar's wife, how can I, a child of God, called by God to this relationship, this fellowship with him, do this great wickedness? Which again is so contrary to the pure laws of God. And Joseph knew that. Okay. Let's go on. This is the fifth and the final principle, that which helped Joseph to resist this particular temptation. And simply, run for your life. Run for your life. You know what? There's going to be times when you find yourself in a situation exactly like this, and the only recourse you have is lace up your Nikes and get out of there as fast as you possibly can and run for your life. Okay, so Potiphar's wife, here's how the story goes made arrangements for all of the other servants of the house to not be there that particular day. 
And when Joseph came in, she grabbed the hold of his robe. Perhaps she had already disrobed herself. She's forcing the issue now. But Joseph wiggled free somehow and went running naked out of the house. That, might have been, that must have been some scene. And sometimes this is the last resort in resisting temptation. You just got to run. You think, I'm in a bad position. I'm slipping. It's about got me. Run. Get out of there. Your friends may think, hey, where's Mike going? Man, he sure left in a hurry. Hey, listen, that was a wise thing to do. All of a sudden, you know, like you were, you were invited. It's a Friday night. You've been invited, you know, with your colleagues at work to go out. And you go out, and all of a sudden, you're finding yourself in an in a, a anti-Christian, non-Christian situation. And it's, pos- and it's very alluring. I mean, you know, sin, again, is, can be alluring. Temptation can be alluring. And it has a way of, you know, screaming, your flesh screaming for satisfaction and fulfillment. And, uh, man, if you take that next step, you're doomed, right? You're going to fall flat on your face, and you know that. So you just got to get out of there as quick as you possibly can and run. And so you think, I'm in a bad position, I'm slipping, it's about got me, run, get out of there. Yes, your friends will say, you know, you turn around, and, yeah, where, where'd Mike go? And, uh, and all they see is your, the backside of you walking out the, you know, the door, you know, as you're running out of, the, out of the place. He sure left in a hurry. Hey, that was a wise choice, a wise decision. You know, Paul puts it this way when he's instructing young Timothy in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 22. He says, flee youthful lusts. That's really good counsel. Run from them. That situation in which you are in danger of falling. And also be careful of the, those places you frequent that might cause you to fall as well. Flee from those things. Listen, as a Christian, you have no place being in some of the places that you've allowed yourself to be in. Joseph took the wisest action as she got hold of him and was moving towards the bed, Right? He just ran out of there as fast as his legs could carry him. You know, here's an observation. And tell me if this isn't true. It's a great feeling coming through temptation victoriously. You know, you're thinking to yourself, I've kept myself pure. Don't you feel good? I mean, there's been times before where you've blown it in that same situation. But this time around, you've gotten the victory. Right? And don't you feel good? You're thinking, you know, even at the end of the night, you know, before you lie your head down on the pillow and you're kind of like reviewing everything that's gone on during the day and you flash back on that opportunity to sin or that temptation that presented yourself to sin, you know what? Yeah, I got the victory today. Feeling pretty good. And you just thank the Lord for giving you the strength to be able to do that. So you're just feeling good, right? But then on the other hand, there are times when you've fallen. And this is the other side of the coin. And rather than, you know, feeling great, the great feeling of you're being victorious, you feel miserable, you feel guilty, you feel dirty. And rather than thanking God, you cry out, oh God, why did I do that? Why did I let my guard down? Now, come on, tell me the truth. Have you been there before? Amen is right. I've been there, man. I've been there. I don't want to be there anymore. 
You know, I believe the joy, the thrill of having victory over temptation is actually a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. You know, when we finally arrive there, and you're going to be thinking to yourself, I don't believe it, I finally made it. Right? And you look into the face of Jesus. I can't believe, I'm, and at that moment you're going, to just, you're going to sing a chorus of amazing grace is what you're going to be doing. Right? Because it was only grace that allowed you to get there in the first place, but still, nevertheless, I made it. And that victory, it's a forte. You know, when we triumph over temptation and sin, it's like a, it's, that's what heaven is going to be like. It's like a foretaste of what heaven is going to be. The thrill of having victory over temptation, a foretaste of heaven. But I also believe the misery, the horror that one feels when they are, when they are fallen is also like what it's going to be like, a foretaste of hell. And so Satan, gang, is out to get us to ensnare you, his traps are set, and he wants to bring you into captivity. And some of you may have fallen, and today you find yourself ensnared, and you don't know how to get out. Hey, listen, you didn't intend to let it go that far, but now you're slipping. Now your life is on a downward spiral. You're being destroyed. And the only thing left for you to do is what? Come to Jesus and confess your sin. The book of Proverbs in chapter 28 and verse 13, it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Praise the Lord. That's the God I know. That's the God whom I serve. So what do we need to do? We need to come and lay it all out to the Lord. And you know what? He's not going to beat you over the head with a club. Rather, how is he going to respond? He's going to say to you, Mike, I love you. I'm so glad that you came to me. Mike, I forgive you. I mean, think about Jesus, what he said to the woman who was taken in the very act of adultery in John's Gospel in chapter 8 and verse 11. He just simply said, go and sin no more. Listen, he will wash and cleanse you and strengthen you if you will come to him. Remember what Peter tells us in his second epistle in chapter 1 and verse 3. God has given us everything necessary to live a godly life. No excuses. No excuses. He's given us everything necessary. He has more than ample resources available to you. The matter of fact is, is are you going to use those resources? Are you going to use the capacities that God has made available to you to use so that you can know this victory that we've been talking about? Everything necessary to live a godly life, a pure life. Everything necessary to overcome temptation. To experience victory. Remember, gang, let me summarize what we've already said. We have been called. We have been chosen. We are one with Christ. We need to see sin as God sees sin. We need to remember how greatly Christ was hurt because of our sins. And if everything else fails, what do we need to do? We need to run. Who do we run to? Get out of there and run to Jesus. Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be Oh my When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. 
The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.